Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. In this podcast, we discuss how data is creating our future. Specifically, we cover applications of analytics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. We discuss career tips for data scientists on how to lead and create value from data. And also, what are the current and future challenges in data science? In this podcast, we interview current leaders in the data space, such as heads of and directors of data science and data engineering, chief data scientists and chief data officers to find out straight from them what were the lessons they've learned in their careers which have helped them get to where they are today. My name is Felipe Flores and I have over 15 years experience in the data space where I've worked on everything from data warehousing to reporting and business intelligence to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I hope you enjoy this episode. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Anthony Ray, who is the Chief Data Officer at the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia. Uh, We talk about heaps of different uh, topics that are really interesting. He tells me about a how the bureau has the large one of the largest supercomputers in Australia and they have about 30 petabytes of data he tells us about what happens uh, with that data he talks to us about uh, data governance and policies and how that should or could be mixed with uh, with the culture of the organization and different te- and bringing in different technology that can be uh, that a lot of it is done through partners he tells us about the uh, WMO, which is an international data exchange uh, for weather data. And we talk about you know, uh, how to partner with startups and innovations, uh, how to create communities of machine learning and data stewards. It's a really, really interesting conversation, and he has a lot of knowledge to share. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Felipe Flores, and I'm sitting here with Anthony Ray. How are you doing, Ray? Yeah, I'm well, Felipe. Thanks. Yeah, dog. Thank you so much for making the time. This is this is very exciting. Um, so we we're talking just before that um, you're quite new to to this role, even though you've been working uh, at at Bomb for a while, right? Yeah. So I, I started at the bureau uh, 17 years ago, and I started my PhD a little before that, actually. And I was, you know, I was sort of da- started dabbling in the types of data that the bureau uses, maybe back in 1998. Um, right. And I, I joined the organisation as someone who was a pr- practitioner, so taking taking satellite data and, and converting that into um, sea surface temperatures, actually. So. Wow. Started off, you know, uh, actually in a hands-on role, you know, taking the data from satellites and turning it into products. Um, and I guess I've made a, you know, a, a bit of a transition into a management role over time. And and I've been in now in this chief data officer role uh, for for a bit over six months. That's fantastic. That's really great. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your uh, your early days and definitely your. Um, your studies, your PhD. I think mm. it was in, in it said sensing and physics in yeah yeah LinkedIn, yeah. So, right? so I I started off actually uh, like a lot of kids. I didn't know what I wanted to be, and I I started I started off in uh, cartography actually, so map making. Yes. But I I quit that course after uh, only only a, a couple of months, and the next year after maybe a, a year of working in factories and doing just kind of menial 
not menial work, but but doing doing work that encouraged me that going back to university was a good idea. Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I went back and studied uh, land surveying, and um, and I worked in uh, then. Yeah, I graduated in the early 90s. Uh, it was a very quiet time in Victoria, not many jobs around. I ended up getting a job uh, based out of Singapore mm -hmm. uh, on a seismic exploration vessel uh, gathering gathering seismic data for uh, oil exploration. I did that for two years um, and then came back. And I, I worked in a series of jobs. I worked as a surveyor in kind of construction and then I, I worked in uh, hydrographic data acquisition, actually really getting down uh, and dirty, <laughs> yes. uh, actually installing equipment in the sewerage system of Melbourne to monitor, monitor flows and uh, help Melbourne Water understand uh, you know, where the pressures on the, on the system might be, where spills might be occurring and so on. Wow. And uh, I think the, you know, it was around that time that uh, I, I made the decision. I think I've been reading a few books by Carl Sagan. I don't know whether you've heard of him. He's like yeah. a really famous science communicator. He wrote a couple of books uh, around the romance of science and one of them was called Broker's Brain. I, I've been reading that book and I know I was driving to work one morning and I just thought, you know, I'm going to do more with my life. And, yeah. uh, and I went back uh, and I enrolled in a research degree and I got introduced to my PhD supervisor who worked here at the Bureau of Meteorology. Right. He's kind of a, a world expert. It's Professor John LaMarshall. He's an expert in satellite remote sensing for, for meteorology. And I, he kind of took me under his under, under his wing and, and so I did a, my PhD over a very extended period, part-time, uh, but in that area of taking satellite measurements and turning them into observations that you can then use in our weather models. So that was kind of my, that was my introduction to the organisation. I started off as a satellite person and then I got involved in, uh, you know, surface-based measurements as well, so automatic weather stations, radars, upper air observations from weather balloons and so on. Um, we, the Bureau's a, a data-driven organisation. You know, the, 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 the forecast models that we run uh, every day to mm -hmm. generate, you know, the forecast for tomorrow out, out to seven days. Uh, this runs on a really large supercomputer, yes. uh, petascale machine. It's a really, it's a really big uh, supercomputer, one of the biggest in Australia. Wow! And that requires uh, a lot of data. So, over no, well over ninety percent of that of that data going into the model comes from meteorological satellites operated by countries other than Australia. Uh -huh. um, so Japan, uh, Europe, the US, China, um, we, we take data from their satellites and ingest them into our models. Um, but we also take our own observations. So we have automatic weather stations, we have uh, balloon launching systems. Um, wow. But really importantly, it's a, it's a global, uh, it's a global endeavour. So to, to run the models properly, what you need to do is take a snapshot of what the, the world is like now, mm -hmm. and then you essentially initialize the model and then you, run, you let the physics run forward for, for seven days and that gives you your forecasts. So you, so you need observations from all over the globe. So there's a coordinated effort through the World Meteorological Organization so, so that all countries are, are launching their weather balloons at the same time. All countries are taking measurements of temperature or pressure at the same time. Wow. So there's a globally coordinated initiative. So every day at, at zero UTC or at 12 UTC, that's, that's Greenwich time, Yes. 
uh, all of the countries in the world will let off their, their weather balloons all at the same time. Wow. And the data's gathered in real time and it's exchanged between the Met services in, in real time so that we launch a, a weather balloon maybe within less than one hour that data is available to our numerical weather prediction system, but it's also available to Japan or to the US or to Europe. So, so there's wow. this incredible uh, real-time exchange that dates back to, to the 1960s. Um, and, uh, and it's managed through a system of, of, of standards. So the standard exchange formats, um, the standards in terms of how accurate the data must be so that it's interchangeable so a weather balloon observation from the Bureau of Meteorology pretty much looks the same as one from the US or from Japan or wherever it might be um, and so this this allows us to 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 to, to do this it, it's a, it's you know it's a it's a it's a global endeavor and there's a smaller number of centers who run these global models you know there might be 12 centers around the, around the globe mm -hmm. But the, the value that they generate and the forecasts that they generate actually trickle down to, to all of the members of, of WMO, so every country on the planet, basically. Yes. So it's a, it's a real global activity with real global value. You know, the observations that we take within the Bureau of Meteorology have value not just for Australians, but for actually everyone on the planet. So it's an amazing thing to be involved in. Completely amazing, completely amazing. And I think most people wouldn't even know that that's happening. No. Um, and that's really interesting that you, you've been involved in the, in the data capture side, even, you know, by installing the yeah. sensors, um, all the way to, uh, well, the, using the data for value, but in a globally collect connected network and, uh, coordinated efforts. Yeah. So I, you know, we're, we're, we're very involved in the World Meteorological Organization. I, I chair, uh, there's a group that. Uh, that meets uh, regularly within what we call the Commission for Basic Systems, but there's a there's a group on integrated observing systems. I'm actually the chair of that. I don't know how that happened, but anyway. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so so we kind of coordinate uh, globally. We have expert teams on on satellite observations, on surface observations, on aircraft observations, and also on using. There's, there's, we can use some diagnostic information out of the weather models to let us understand what observations are having the most impact, what observations might be having the most impact on the model per unit cost. So, so uh -huh. we can start to understand where countries would be best put, where would they be best placed to, to, to invest in terms of future observing systems so that they can have the maximum impact uh, on, on global models. So it's, it's a really interesting area. Super, super interesting. Wow, there's um, yeah, so much to unpack there. <laughs> there's, uh, I want to ask you so many questions. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the optimization of doing it, uh, looking at observation, the cost per observation, that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, so once the, the data is, is captured, what, what happens there? How is it uh, A, shared and, and B, processed? So there's a, as I said, there are, there are standard, uh, the, the World Meteorological Organization, I'll, I'll call it the WMO, mm -hmm. uh, that, that has standard formats for exchange. Uh, so they have their own kind of quite esoteric file types, buffer mm -hmm. files and grib files that nobody else really <laughs> understands or uses. Uh, there's, a, there's a system, I mentioned the real-time exchange, 
there's a system called the GTS, the Global Telecommunications System, which is something that was put in place by the World Meteorological Organization. Um, it facilitates uh, the, the exchange, it's a switching system and it exchanges the switch, it, it, it facilitates the switching of data between, uh, between countries mm -hmm. and it's only like in the last maybe five years that, that there's a transition being made from the GTS to what's called the WMO information system or the WIS and that's much more of a, a cloud-based uh, system with kind of some discoverability of the data and so on. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a willingness to open this data up, not just to, to the other MET services, but also to, to researchers and so on, so that the idea is to make this data more discoverable. So we're, we're on the journey towards the, the full kind of realisation of, of this WIS, the WMO information system, but it's because there's so many countries involved and yes. you need to you need to cater to the capabilities of, of the, the richest countries like you know Australia uh, you also need to take into account the capabilities of, of the very poorest and smallest countries so change yes. within the WMO framework takes a long time yes definitely and that's and that's um yeah that's why I was asking the question because in in a lot of systems international systems that have been around for a long time it's rare to find that they're moved onto the cloud, for example. So that's, that's really great in terms of um, the fact that you guys, given the environment, you make international change slowly, but you're already on the cloud. Yeah, it's interesting. The, we've been using cloud for a few things within, within the Bureau. So mm -hmm. uh, the, the web hosting now previously was on physical machines within our data centers. Now uh, a lot of our web traffic goes, goes through the cloud. Um, it's you know obviously it's scalable um, and uh, reliable. Uh, you know we the bureau, it's the it's one of the most heavily used websites in in, in the country. Wow! Uh, and of so course. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's not it's not as high as you know Google or some of the others, but it's it's in that kind of top top maybe top twenty. So it's it's uh, we we have a lot of traffic, particularly during. Cyclones, you know, severe weather events. The the traffic really really spikes on our on our website, and and our app as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's really interesting. And um and then what happens with with the data? Uh, you mentioned that the the analysis is done uh, to do forecasts for a week. Uh, what other types of studies or or areas of research are done within the bureau and yeah. and outside? Yeah, look, the, the, the data that we collect, it, it's, it's multi-purpose, if you yeah. like. So if you think about um, an, an automatic weather station, for example, it's gathering, you know, one every minute it's gathering temperature, humidity, pressure, wind, rainfall observations, and they, they come back to a central processing centre. So that, that, that data will be used in our models, mm -hmm. but it also gets used uh, to for the public website to tell people, you know, what are the current conditions. It also gets archived and goes through an additional quality control process and becomes the, the climate record because that's a, that's the other the other thing that we do is, you know, we we we're the custodians of more than a hundred years of climate data for for Australia, and so and we're continually adding to that. So we so we tend to keep, particularly the observational data, we tend to keep all of it, everything that we gather. For, for automega weather stations, that's a very small amount, but for some of the newer satellite missions, mm -hmm. so uh, Japan launched uh, a kind of next generation 
geostationary meteorological satellite in 2015 called Himawari 8. Uh, the, the data volume from that satellite went up 40 times from the, from the previous satellite wow. that we were using. Uh, so it's a terabyte of data every three days from that satellite and, and we keep all of that all of that and you know what what we're seeing is with it with advancements in space technology the the volumes uh, from the satellite systems in particular are just increasing exponentially yeah definitely wow that is that is incredible um, the the model data as well so mm -hmm. the the models themselves you know, we, we just, as I mentioned, we just got a, a bigger, uh, the government invested in the Bureau and we got a much larger supercomputer. So the, the resolution of the model increases, um, but that means that the output data size also increases. So the models themselves are now generating uh, a huge volume of data, probably similar to the volumes of observational data actually. So we've got to make some choices about uh, what we keep, you know, how long we keep it for. So we're, one of the reasons for having a data program um, is to establish some governance and some policies around those things because we can't just continue as we have in the past to, to keep everything, we'll, you know, th this is not sustainable. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. That would be tough. Uh, so what, what types of um, governance and policies are you guys looking around that space? So we're talking to our modelling people right now about uh, data lifecycle plans for mm -hmm. each instance of, of the model. So we've got a global model, let's say, you know, we need to understand what, what happens to the model output from that. Um, you know, we've, we've got some challenges in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, licensing. Uh, you know, we want to establish some standards around around formats and so on. So we, we in the end, you know, we've, we, we've got a, a data program you know, but the, but the Bureau's been handling data for years and you think we'd be very good at it. We're very good at it in specific areas. What, what we're not great at at the moment is interoperability. So the, the way the technology stacks within our organisation have built up over time, they're, they're quite siloed. So there'll be one kind of tech stack for radar data, let's say. There's a tech stack for automatic weather station data. There's a tech stack for satellite data. Independently, they all work very well, but when we try to use the data interchangeably, I mean, that happens in the modelling space, but if you can imagine once you're out of that kind of real time uh, and stuff goes off into its own archives, it's not so easy uh, to, to pull it back and use it inter interchangeably. And so yes. there's a real challenge for us to, I like to think of it as unlocking the value of our data. We've got, a, we've got a huge amount of data that we gather and generate. And what we want to do is tap into the value of that uh, for the benefit of Australians, basically, um, and, and you know, to, to stimulate innovation in service delivery. Um, and, and so we've got, we've got a whole bunch of work happening uh, around trying to lift the, the level of maturity within the organisation around data to the, to the next to the next level you know you could you could you could imagine that data in the past has been treated as a bit of a byproduct so let's so put in a brand new shiny weather radar that was seen to be the you know the, the valuable thing but that, that actually the value is in the data that that generates and and the and the services and products that flow onto the community 
I think historically we've maybe treated those data, the data as a bit of a byproduct, and you know, not not really thought about it that much. So we want to spin that around, and and I think there's three things, you know, there's the the governance and the policies around data. Uh, there's there's a cultural change that we we want to we want to uh, to 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 make as well, and then there's uh, the, the underpinning technology. Um, so in the recent budget you know the government has has announced a bit of a, a rebuild of the of the bureau's kind of underpinning technology um, and so there's going to be a, a very significant investment in you know in, in, in different aspects of, of the bureau's kind of tech stack I, I mentioned before you know we've got we've got a kind of a, a bit of a siloed um, tech stack for the for the various different data types that, that we gather a lot of it's also quite old, right? Um, we've we've yeah. got we've got we've got systems that are running, you know, that have been running in one form or another for uh, decades, mm. and so there's a there's some renewal required, and that will happen over the next over the next three to four years. So the, the, our role within the, within the, the data the data area is not is not to to do that on the technology side, but it's to provide the guidance and the framework within that within which that can happen. Yes. Definitely, and yeah. and it's it's a very similar problem to what um, I think most large organizations are facing right now at the moment as well. In the sense that they have different business areas, different divisions, uh, sometimes different products have completely different technology stacks within large organizations, and it's it's definitely a challenge to bring that that data together and get unlock the value as as you say yeah so anyway so that's where we, that's what we're trying we're trying to uh to do you know we've we've got work around uh, uh we're leading some work around api development um yes. as well um you know a lot of our customers are still receiving receiving their data via ftp mm -hmm. so we we want to we want to change change that you know for efficiency reasons but also just to once again uh, open up open up the value of our data a bit more that's great. That's great. And um, what what is the um, I guess in a if we if we dive down deeper a little bit into um, the role that, that the data area is playing in the in the technology change, um, what's the how much involvement is there? You mentioned that you guys are providing the the guidance. Do you do that as a set of requirements that it gets passed on, or do you work with them? Uh, jointly with technology to develop this? Yeah, there's a bit of both. Uh, we've got clearly we're we're working on the on the kind of high level policy and governance, but we're also you know we've got subject matter experts who are getting involved in the procurements and the, and the design and so on. So working closely with our uh, architecture area, you know, uh, data architecture as well. Um, yeah, to, to, to make sure that the, the business needs, uh, I think, are, are, are translated in. And we can see that the way I see it is, you know, we've, we've got a role in terms of understanding that perhaps the longer term data requirements of the organisation and aggregating those together into, into a, a set of, of enterprise data requirements. So we're driving some of the investment in future observing systems and so on. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, we're still we're still finding our way um, a little bit there. Yeah, of yeah. course, because in in a way, it's it's um, a different challenge. In a way, it's a different challenge to to what you find in corporate, in the sense that the data you're collecting, 
you have to think about the uses outside of your organization yes. as well, right? And, and providing that to the public, to, to researchers, and you're doing this for, for the public good internationally. Yeah, that's right. So we're also looking at, you know, working with uh, partners. So for us, you know, partners are, are very important, both in terms of partners who are get collecting data that what we might be interested in so you know we've got we've got uh, strong links to other Commonwealth agencies for example Geoscience Australia or, or CSIRO um, but you know we've also got partnerships with maybe it's you know with our with our with our at the, at the delivery end you know we might be looking to partner with uh, research partners or with uh, with other agencies to deliver services uh, to our customers as well so I think yeah, the partnerships uh, are very, very important to us, and we, and we, particularly those, those, you know, those, those global satellite operators. Mm. Obviously, the relationships with them are, are very important. You know, we we receive a huge amount of data for free, so we don't pay yes. for the satellite data that we use in our in our models. But uh, to, to to allow that to happen, you know, we didn't need to make sure that we're focused on our interactions with uh, with both bilaterally with these operators and, and with the World Meteorological Organization uh, as well. That's a, a lot a lot of pieces, a moving pieces to There's coordinate. Pieces, yeah. And um, what about the, the use of, of the data? Do you partner with um, research organizations or universities or um, institutions like that? Yeah, there, there's there's a bit of work with with universities uh, that that happens more not not so much in my area mm -hmm. uh, that happens in the, in the research. So the bureau's got a dedicated research function, and they tend to manage those those partnerships. But a lot of those, you know, are underpinned by by the sharing of data between between us and and the research areas. Um, where we are interested in partnering, uh, and where you know perhaps I've been focusing a, a little bit. Um, is we 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 haven't made much inroads into uh, data analytics or, or machine learning in particular. So we can see that these technologies will have uh, a really big impact globally, but an, an impact on us uh, as well. Beneficial impact, you know, we can see massive productivity gains through 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 these technologies, but. Um, that it's it, that's not it's that's not the way that we we're traditionally used data. You know, we use data in a very kind of deterministic way. You know, we we take data and we use physics to turn it into into something else, to turn it into products. Um, so we're we're looking and we're very interested in exploring ways that we can use, particularly machine learning, um, to to get productivity gains. So you know, particularly if there's if there's you know the the weather forecasting, for example, is quite a Quite a manual process, you know. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's people who have their have their eyes on the data all the time, you know, looking for severe weather events, you know, getting, you know, preparing warnings for the public. You know, we, we're we're looking at ways that we might be able to, you know, leverage these technologies to to you know improve these functions and maybe free up people for high value uh, activities. Yes, of course. Um, but but we've got a very you know uh, limited capability in that area at the moment, and you know that's where I think working with partners, whether that's CSIRO or the universities, I think that there'd be real benefits in us doing that. Definitely, that's really interesting. And uh, there's um, 
there's such huge parallels with um, with corporate, which is where, where I spend most of my career either consulting or working internally. Yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely at the moment, everyone is trying to figure out what um, what value they can get from machine learning and how to bring it in and and um, use it in the organization. Yeah, I, I sometimes feel like it's a solution looking for a problem, you know? Um, yes. For us, you know, I can see that there'd be some real benefits in us, in, in us tapping in. And, you know, there's an element of it maybe that's a bit more, I don't want to say commoditized, but, you know, there are products that you can buy off the shelf that you can apply to, to problems. And I think that's, that's you know, where we, we might look for some, it's a cliche, but look for some low-hanging fruit where potentially we can do something. And it might not even be in the meteorological space. It might be in analysing customer feedback or, you know, analyzing uh, diagnostic data from a weather radar to understand when it might be going to fail. You know, they, these, these, these are the areas that we're potentially looking at. Um, clearly, you know, the, the machine, machine vision, there might, there'll, be, there'll be applications for that in terms of, let's say, you know, we've got satellite imagery coming into the organization every 10 minutes, so you've got a snapshot of the weather conditions. Surely there's some way we can use, you know, machine learning to, to pick out features and maybe at least draw attention to to hazards, to our forecasters. Um, we'd also like to, to take machine learning and look at, uh, we've got a lot of historical paper records. Um, so we've got, you know, paper records, people have written down observations of the weather dating back, you know, more than 100 years. All of that stuff's stored, but it's not all digitised. And even if it is digitised, it's quite a manual process to go through and, and, and identify the values on the paper and put them into a database. And so if we could find a way to do that, uh, using you know, machine vision and coupled with machine learning, I think you know there'd be some real benefits uh, to doing that. Exactly right, and uh, yeah, as I as I said before, same same as in in corporates. Um, you know, I've sat sat with um, with teams that sometimes there are seventy people in large organizations where their job is to receive digital documents that they print out. So they can check the accuracy mm. of the information that the information is the same from document to document, and then they manually input it into a system. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes people spend their, their entire day doing that. Uh, so definitely, definitely, there's, there's got to be a better way, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And those those are the um, the areas where machine learning can definitely uh, assist. That's that's really really interesting. And uh, tell me in in. The work that your area is doing, what are you, what are you most excited about? Well, uh, the, yeah, the, there's, the, it's varied. Uh, so, so it's interesting. The, the, the area that I'm, that I'm in charge of, the, the data program, it brings together uh, a, a number of different areas. Um, and it's, be, it's been assembled perhaps out of the different components, you know, when we had our restructure late last, uh, in the middle of last year. Uh, so I've got a data quality function. So we've got responsibility for uh, making sure that the, the data that we, that we gather is, is of a quality, you know, that, that, it can, that, that it's trusted, right? The Bureau, we, we need to, the climate observations that we take need to be able to be traceable they, we need to be able to prove basically that that they're, that they're accurate yes. um, and so we we have uh, we have a lot of work going on now around uh, ISO certification for mm -hmm. our for our for our lab processes 
but actually we're, we're just embarking on the process for ISO 9001 certification of our entire observations process. So this wow. is a really big job. Yes. I don't know whether I'd say I'm excited about it, uh, <laughs> uh, but I can see that there'll be real benefits in doing that. So, so that, that's exciting. I think some of the work that we're, um, there's a couple of things that uh, I'm, I'm working on with the WMO at the moment. Um, one is lifting the bar on on uh, on international data exchange. So mm -hmm. uh, the 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 way that the, the if you like, there's kind of mandatory requirements for meteorological agencies to to exchange their data internationally, and they were established more than 20 years ago um, through a resolution of the WMO Congress. You know, it's a very formal process. Um, what we've recognised is that th that baseline that was set 20 years ago hasn't kept up with the requirements of the modern models. They, they need more data, they need observations more frequently. You know, the, the, the previous requirements were, you know, exchange of data every six hours. Mm -hmm. that, that's not enough anymore. We need data exchanged, you know, hourly or maybe even, you know, more, more frequently than that. So right now we're, we've, we've got, uh, we're going to have a, a a workshop in July in July uh, in Geneva to to basically talk about uh, yeah, to, to establish what what the what the new baseline might be and then we'll go through the process of putting that up to the the WMO executive council and then the Congress and then that becomes essentially the new baseline that countries need to adhere to um, so that that's exciting because that'll be a kind of uplift in, in global capability exactly um, we know that there are actually there are a lot of observations that are being taken out there now that that aren't being exchanged for various reasons, and mm -hmm. so we we want to you know uh, we can certainly appeal appeal to WMO members uh, better natures to, to exchange that data, but we can also back that up with you know some some kind of firm requirements. So that that's exciting. Very yeah. very exciting. That's that's excellent. And tell me in when you mentioned the the data quality piece. You said that uh, you have to prove that the, the observations are accurate. How, how is that done? Yes, so, so we have, uh, you know, the, within the, the, the SI system, if you like, mm -hmm. the, the system of standard units, you know, we, we have uh, the NATA come in and, and audit our labs, but we, we maintain standards that are traceable back to those to standard observations which are held in in france or wherever they're held in at iso so you know we've got a a kind of a, a pressure standard let's say an instrument that's really well calibrated that's being compared to to instruments internationally we can then use that to it's it's a, it's kind of a chain right so so we've got this this kind of national standard we use that to to calibrate uh standards that then our field technicians will take out to compare to a, a field observation and we'll do that for temperature for you know for for pressure um, and eventually we'll do it for all of the all of the parameters that we have so uh, yeah it's kind of a chain of traceability if you like we operate what's called a, a regional instrument center um, which which performs that function for a, a big chunk of, of Southeast Asia actually so we might get uh, people from you know Indonesia let's say come in and mm -hmm. and um, we'll, we'll calibrate their, their field equipment um, as well. And so there's a there's, there's, there's kind of global framework, if you like, a kind of global web that allows this to, to happen. That's fantastic. And I, I, I love how collaborative it is. 
at a global scale. It's really, yeah, the, the WMO is interesting. It's one of the, I mean, it's a special, I think it's called a, a specialised agency of the United Nations, but it's really one of the, 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 the success stories. You know, it's really, uh, even through times of, of, of conflict, you know, even, even throughout the Cold War, for example, there were still yeah. weather observations being exchanged between uh, the, the Soviet Union and the US, for example. So, you know, it's... Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. That is incredible! Wow, really, really interesting, and it's and it's fantastic that now you're you're helping uh, uplift those standards as well. That's really, really great. Thank you. And the other the other piece that that you mentioned um, that you guys are working on, you said the there's the governance and policies part, there's the technology part, and the other one was the the cultural yeah. aspect, right? Uh, can we dive a little bit into into that and what you guys are doing around that? It's sure, such an interesting part. you know, what, I don't know what that adage is. You know, that culture eats strategy for, for breakfast or something <laughs> like that. But uh, you know, we we so this this is really it's all about communication, right? And it's about taking the organisation on a bit of a journey. So, you know, we've got uh, you know we've got we've got governance and we're working on policies and so on. But equally, we're working on a you know on a communication and engagement plan. Um, to educate people, so it's partially about training, but it's partially about just just getting out and, and talking to the business areas and, and helping them to understand, you know, where we're trying to go. Um, and so, yeah, there's a real. I don't want to say yeah. There's a there's a communication and a kind of expositional piece uh, that's part yes. that's part of this, right? It's it's getting out and you know getting out to our regional offices and talking to the staff out there and just. Um, just kind of trying to take them on the on the on the journey uh, as well. Um, now, you, you can't do one without the other. You know, you need you need the policies and the governance in place, but mm. you know, and and but but you need the, the, the that to be kind of accepted. You know, I mean, I guess I guess it's kind of classic change management. You know, it's about making people understand the imperative for change, right? And then you, once they understand that, then they can start to go on the on the journey. Now, I don't think it's going to be that difficult for us, actually, because I think mm -hmm. deep down, people in the Bureau of Meteorology really understand that, that data is what, what drives us. You know, it's kind of the blood in our veins. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't see that as being, being difficult, but sometimes, you know, uh, deeply entrenched practices are, are hard, to, hard, to, hard to change. Definitely. Um, so we'll see how we go. Hey, no, I'm sure it'll be it'll be great. And um, what what are you guys uh, thinking in terms of the um, the training and the exposition? How are you? Uh, what are you planning on the, on those? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't really we haven't really dug into the the, the training side yeah. uh, as yet. But but clearly, as we start to roll out policies, so. We, we're actually starting with our with our senior managers, so we've got we've got a right. you know we took we took meeting with our executive team um, to talk about the kind of broader issues in the data space, mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll be following that up with a, 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 a relaunch, if you like, or a new sort of data framework for the organisation, which is underpinned by uh, implementation plans, a whole bunch of stuff that we need to do, you know, communication engagement plans, so that. That's all going up to our senior executive team in the next couple of months. Uh -huh. So we start with them, we, we get their buy-in, uh, and then maybe we start to work on the next level down. And, and at the same time, you know, we've got, we're gonna establish, you know, a community of practice. Mm -hmm. So we've, you know, we 
we've, we've already got a community of practice for uh, machine learning. We'll probably establish some kind of a data stewards group or something like that, uh, just to build the connections across the organisation. And, you know, we can, you know, part of this is about, you know, uh, identifying and, and, and encouraging champions uh, for what we want to do. So Exactly. Um, but that's, that's a really great approach, uh, I think, because in... Uh, from from what I've seen in a lot of organizations that are trying to do this, um, it's it's rare to see such a focused engagement at the executive level. So generally, from what I've seen, uh, the uh, there is a, a, an interest from the executives on doing better work with data, but that immediately gets pushed down and says, okay, let's start with training. Um, training the troops, essentially, doing the exposition for the troops. But you guys are focusing on getting really good executive buy-in and support beforehand. It's great. Look, and I think there's a recognition uh, at the highest level within our organisation that, you know, this is an industry that's potentially being disrupted. I think I think they say, you know, if you, if you think you're being disrupted, it's already too late, it's already happened. But... Um, you know there are there are new players in the in a meteorological space. You know the machine learning. Uh, you know the, these techniques will allow people to you know mash together different types of data and potentially generate new products. Um, so we need to ensure that that I think that we that we continue to deliver uh, the services that that Australians need. That our message is still relevant. Um, and that we're, you know, we we we're we're using, um, you know, modern technology to 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 deliver uh, impact and value uh, to to the Australian people. So, um, I, I think our executive recognise that 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 this is an area where technology and and perhaps you know things like like cloud. So the Previously, to get into the meteorological space, you needed to have a massive supercomputer, right? But, yes. but you know, we've got, you know, you've got, particularly in the app space, you know, it could be someone in their, back, in their backyard, in their garage, you know, putting out something that's really, really, uh, you know, competitive product. So, so I think there's a recognition that, that we need to be right on top of our game um, to stay relevant. Yes, definitely, and um, yes, like more, a lot of um, big organizations are, are facing uh, similar competitive pressures. Um, I was, I was until recently, I was working in banking, and we definitely felt the pressure of, of uh, fintech or financial technology yeah, startups yeah, coming yeah, in. And, yeah. um, and in in your case, it's really interesting because you guys are doing really the whole spectrum of uh, of data, and by that I mean starting with the data capture, with the sensors, with, you know, what a lot of people are now seeing as, as the IoT wave or the Internet of Things wave coming in and having uh, sensors, uh, distributed sensors or smart sensors everywhere. Uh, you guys do have been doing that. Yeah, well, what we haven't done, you know, and, and I think the Internet of Things is, is really of interest to us. Mm -hmm. We've got We've got something called WOW. Uh, it's a partnership with the UK Met Office where people can uh, 
basically submit or subscribe their, their backyard automatic weather station to WOW and they can provide the data to us in real time and there's a web interface and so they can all be displayed. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a f putting, a, putting a, a toe in the water in terms of Internet of Things. Of course, you know, uh, a lot of mobile phones, a lot of smart watches have barometers in them now and they're taking, yes. taking pressure observations all the time. Right now, we're not tapping into any of that, but you know, people like um, so the weather company in the U.S., which who were recently taken over by IBM or purchased by IBM. That's right. Um, uh, they're they're doing that. You know, their their aim is to have their, their weather on a on the on a billion people's phones. Uh, that's that's their that's that's their aim. And wow. they've 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 got uh, you know they've got deals with with. Apple and with uh, and with Samsung, so they're probably well on the way. Mm -hmm. um, but they can they can also gather uh, and use uh, those observations uh, as well. You know, the models that we have are not probably particularly geared to, to to using that. But once you start thinking about, you know, using using uh, machine learning perhaps or analytics to analyse these massive fields of, of observations of data, there's probably some applications there. So we, we, we're, we're sort of starting down that path and some of the other MET services, for example, are looking at partnerships with uh, car manufacturers so they can get the huh. temperature or, or um, even from the, from the windscreen wipers, you know, the, whether or not it's raining. So there's, there's the potential to, to get this data back and as we move into a more interconnected world, there's going to be a lot more there. Um, but it doesn't replace, you know, our view is that it doesn't replace the need for the kind of core observing systems that, w that we operate. Um, and also, if you think about where all those weather observations are from, from people's phones or whatever, in the Australian context, that's, you know, basically up and down the east coast and, you know, and there's a little bit dot over in <laughs> Perth and then the rest, there's nothing. Yes. Uh, so we still need to, to, you know, to field our, our observation systems in, in those areas. So. Uh, to me, it's it's something that's complementary. Um, you know, we would still operate our core kind of climate network, um, but then perhaps in the urban areas, we might be able to bring in data from you know people's individual weather stations, or let's say they're operated by a farming cooperative or something like that. We can bring bring that in, uh, and eventually maybe bring in data from devices as well. But we're we're on the beginning of that journey. Yes, but it, it seems like it's it's going towards a, a data exchange. Um, program where you're, um, yeah, you're able to take data in from all different sensors and and present it back uh, yeah. for for benefit. That's really interesting. And yeah, you you mentioned uh, uh, we were talking about it just before around uh, like any large organization feeling the the pressure of of I guess startups and external innovation coming in um, thick and fast. How how do you uh, or do you do you guys keep up with that, with what's happening and um, what you should be working on and and um yeah, I mean, in terms of keeping up with technological trends, you know, we we work a lot with our with our international partners, but you know, we also network uh, across so across the Australian government. There's a mm -hmm. there's a data champions group that, that meets regularly where we, we, we talk about uh, what's what's coming along. You know, we occasionally, you know, we might send people to, 
you know, there's any number, as you'll be well aware, there's any number of, uh, of summits uh, any week you like on, on data and, you know, driving the digital business and so on. So we do tend to, you know, keep an eye on, on that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And, you know, just making sure we're across the literature. Um, it's interesting, though, bringing in, you know, talent in this area mm -hmm. um, is an interesting challenge. You know, we can't compete. You know, in terms of salaries, we can't compete with the, with the corporate sector. And you know, if you think about analytics or machine learning, these 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 graduates are snapped up uh, pretty quick. So we will need to look, I think, at, at how we can build that capability internally, and perhaps uh, you know, the community of practice that we've established is is a first step towards that. You know, we we might look at you know, selecting individuals or training people up, you know, so that, um, you know, maybe empl employing a few people that can then build the capability across the organisation. We, people tend to stay here a long time, so we have a very low churn rate uh, compared to the rest of the public service even. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I've been with the Bureau of Meteorology for 17 years, that's, that's actually not unusual. A lot of people, you know, we, we recently just had uh, on World Meteorology, Meteorology Day, uh, you know, a number of 30-year service awards for, for staff. So wow. people tend to stay for, for a long time. Which is fantastic. Um, which is good, but, you know, then keeping, keeping skills up to date can, can, be, can be a challenge, right? Yes, and, and that's why you, um, you mentioned you started the, the machine learning uh, community of practice. Uh, how, how did that get started and, and how is it going? Uh, look, it's going okay. Right, right now we're at the stage where, you know, we've identified a whole bunch of sort of proof of concept ideas and coming into the next financial year we'd be thinking about how we might take one of those or a couple of those from proof of concept into, into realisation. Um, but you know, it's it, it's a challenging uh, funding environment. Yes. You know, for everyone, and uh, so yeah, we'll just have to see how we go, how we go on that. Exactly. But we are looking at you know building building some capability in the, in that area over time. Whether it happens next financial year or, or after that, will just remain to be seen. Yes. And the uh, the people that are part of that community, the machine learning community, are they um, people that already have? Machine, some machine learning skills. It, it's, yeah, it's a mixture. It's it's a mixture of people who might have done that before, either mm -hmm. in a previous life or you know have dabbled in it when they've been with the bureau. Uh, it ranges from those people through to people who are just interested in it. So, um, people in our innovation function, for example. So it's a bit of a, it's a pretty informal grouping. Yes. Um, right now, it's it's more about um, sharing ideas and and um, and and information. What you asked before about how do we keep up with you know with technology, you know with that group, you've got a lot of people who are interested in it. You know if they find an interesting article, they can share it with with the other members. So I think that's a really good uh, good use of of that group as well. Really great, really great, and definitely yeah, like uh, better than than um, a lot of places that I've seen. I think um, yeah, a lot of places are struggling to to find their feet on how they can um, get people together and, and trained up in this area. And I think that starting with a community of practice is, is really great. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, um, it's, it's, been, it's been fun actually. Excellent, and um, I, I, I'm keeping an eye on the clock because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so um, I wanted to ask you, I guess the last couple of questions uh, around the, the current uh, set of challenges in, that you see in, in the data space. Um, and what what do you see as some of the future challenges? And you can take them together or, yeah. or separate. 
so I mentioned, I mean, the volume is, is a challenge. Um, we, our, our holdings, the last time I checked, were around 30 petabytes. So it's a, wow. lot, a, lot, of, a lot of data, a lot of data. And that's been growing, I would say, exponentially, you know. Um, if, I had to, if I had to make a guess, I would say that, I think it would be a no-brainer to say that maybe 90% of that data has been gathered in the last 10 years. I think that would be that would be given, but you know, it might be that you know half of it's been gathered in the last five. You know, anyway, it, mm. it's it's increasing uh, very very rapidly, and uh, and and every year, you know, the the rate of increase goes up. So we've got some real challenges there. Um, and I mentioned before, there's some challenges around the discoverability of our archive data. So we keep all this stuff. We've got 30, 30 petabytes of data, but it's not all readily accessible. Um, you know, a lot of it's stored on, on tape, and then getting it back can be, you know, you've got to know where it is, and then, you know, getting it back, and then getting it into a, even sometimes getting it into a modern format. So I think that's, mm. that's a challenge. Go, going, going forward, you know, I, I mentioned the climate record before. As data becomes more complex, we need to make sure that as we change the technology that, that we store, um, where we, how we store our data, we need to make sure that we can always read it back. Because, you know, even, even since I've been here, there have been, been instances where, you know, we've had um, satellite data stored on massive real tapes and then, you know, somebody wants to look at it and and then you realize oh the, the, a there's no there's no we don't even have a tape tape drive that can that can take that kind of tape anymore and b even if we could the software to read that format doesn't exist yes so so there's a real challenge for us in terms of planning out how that data is going to be sustainably you know accessed and and read into the future um, and I think that you know the, the pace of technological change Means that it, that is a real, a real challenge, and it's a real threat. So, so we just need to be mindful um, of that. And what was the second part of your question? So uh, that, so you you addressed the, yeah, the, definitely the the yeah. part around the current challenges. What do you see as some of the the future challenges in the data space? Yeah, I, I think that one around uh, around. Maintaining the readability of a data is mm. a, a future challenge for us. You know, maybe it's a it's a short to medium term challenge. Is is taking advantage of of the machine learning, um, and uh, and data analytics. The I think the the disruption in 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 this space, the, the kind of digital disruption, if you like, is a, a could be a, re a real challenge for us as we have. You know, entrants like um, IBM, the weather company, or mm. you know, Panasonic, um, running running weather models and putting their products out there. Um, it will be a real challenge for some national MIT services to maintain their, their relevance. I think so. Our, our current strategy is focused really on it's completely customer focused strategy, and uh, so. That's our hope, I think, in that the, the intent of the strategy is to maintain our relevance through a, a close connection to, uh, to the customer and, and to meeting their needs. So, yeah, I think the, the challenge for us 
is going to be it's broader than the data space it's you know it's around um, yeah maintaining our relevance clearly uh, there's, a, there's probably another challenge there I mentioned before that you know all of the all of the satellite data that we receive we receive pretty much free of charge on the back of international exchange uh, agreements but there's there's some shifts particularly in the US um, there's a push to commercialize some some uh, some data streams so just recently um, a company called Spire have launched a constellation of, of satellites that are taking meteorological observations and they're looking to, to, to sell those um, and um, so as the balance shifts between uh, governments funding you know large uh, observation systems that, that are, are freely available to, to any MET service to commercial operators. And I think in the space uh, area, you know, the reduced kind of cost of getting stuff up into space, you know, driven by companies like SpaceX and so on, yes. will mean that, that it will be commercialised. Um, and uh, so th this will be a challenge for us, you know, how, how, does, uh, how do we transition into to, to, to that kind of new environment where maybe data can't be freely exchanged between countries because it's got some kind of licensing uh, around it. So I think that this will be a challenge globally uh, over, over the next decade, how we, how we resolve that as an international community. Exactly right. That is really interesting. And there are so many, um, yeah, we've, we've we covered a lot of ground, but there's, there's so many areas that um, I hadn't thought of before and I, and I didn't have any exposure to before. Uh, so thank you, thank you very much for that. Thank and you. I, th I think that the work that you guys are doing is extremely, extremely exciting, and there's um, there's definitely a lot of um, a lot of upside that's that's coming in in what you're doing today. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. This Thanks has been Felipe. really, really interesting. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.